Welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Today, you are going to learn how to outsmart emotional eating and live a life of happiness and joy without giving up the foods you love. Now, here is Dr. Nina. Hi, welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. I'm your host, Dr. Nina Savelle Rocklin, psychoanalyst, and I am here to help you liberate yourself from emotional eating, take control of your life, and feel good in your body, all without dieting, spending hours in the gym, or counting a single macro. Today, we're going to talk about rejection. More specifically, I'm going to give you five steps to beat rejection and stop binge eating for good. Um, So look, rejection. We have all experienced rejection. We've all been there before. Like we see someone we're attracted to. We want to make a move, swipe right, or is it left? I don't know. (laughs) I've been been married for almost 20 years. And although I did meet my husband on, on a dating site, we didn't have an app. So I'm not sure if you're supposed to swipe right or left if you like someone. You get the idea. Maybe we even just want to smile when we see someone we, we we like, but we're afraid of rejection, so we don't do it. So instead of putting ourselves out there, we stay silent, we do nothing, and we tell ourselves it's no big deal. There are other fish in the sea. The timing isn't right. Whatever. They wouldn't like us anyway. Or we consider interviewing for a new job or making a career move that will be really advantageous to us. And then we worry. We worry about whether we will measure up or if we're as good as other candidates. And ultimately, we decide not to bother applying for the position. So let's face it. Rejection hurts a lot, which is why we avoid it at all costs. The fear of rejection is very real. It is very common. As many as 50% of people suffer from some form of social anxiety, and a large number of those people also suffer from the fear of rejection. There's a connection between fearing rejection and social anxiety. In fact, they may be really one and the same. And when faced with the prospect of rejection, our natural instinct is to retreat, to protect ourselves. And for some of us, that means turning to food for comfort often to the point of binge eating. When we're binging, by the way, we don't feel the pain of being rejected or the pain of feeling stuck and and not able to put ourselves out there where we might even be rejected. And let me just take a moment and talk about what is binge eating. Because I hear so many people say, oh, I totally binged last night. And they'll say, "Uh, you know, oh, I ate four cookies. And other people will say, I totally binged last night. I ate 40 cookies. Well, guess what? Four cookies, not a binge. 40 cookies, yeah, that's a binge. So binge eating is defined as eating an unusually large amount of food in a short amount of time. And when this happens regularly, and it also causes deep shame and distress, it impacts your self-esteem. And it's about, well, wait. Let me before I say what it's about, let me say what it's not about. It is not about control. It is not about willpower, and it is not about food addiction. Binge eating is about using food to cope with painful, upsetting, difficult emotions such as rejection or fear of rejection. And we often turn to 
to binge eating to soothe our emotions, to make ourselves feel better. You know, after all, people can be unpredictable, unavailable, and unreliable. They might reject us. Food is predictable, available, and reliable. Food will never reject us. However, of course, this is a way of coping that it is a frenemy. It is a friend in that it helps us in the moment, but it is an enemy in that ultimately it makes us feel worse physically and emotionally. And it, it becomes a vicious cycle. Like the more we fear rejection, the more we turn to food for comfort. And the more we binge eat, the more our self-esteem suffers. So we start to believe we're not good enough. We don't deserve love. We don't deserve attention. We don't deserve that new job. So we expect rejection because after all, who would want us? We're not good enough. And we retreat further into our binge eating habits, making it even harder to break free. So if you find yourself turning to food when you're feeling anxious or feeling down or worried, any kind of feeling, there are a few things that you can do both to overcome the fear of rejection and break the cycle of, of binge eating. So how do you stop the fear of rejection? Because sometimes it's the fear of rejection that's even worse than actually being rejected. I mean, actually being rejected is not an enjoyable experience. Who likes that? Nobody. But fearing rejection can be just as bad, if not worse. So here are some things that you can do to overcome that fear of rejection. First, balance rejection and acceptance. So think about the times in your life that you've been rejected. Yes, think about those times. Yes, it was terrible. You may cringe just even thinking about it. I'm kind of cringing right now thinking about it. But it's not fun. It's it's horrible. But then consider your successes. The times that you weren't rejected, the times you were accepted, the times things worked out. Was your greatest success worth the greatest rejection you suffered? Yeah. Yeah. Think about the qualities that also made you successful. Rejection doesn't mean you're not good enough. When we fear rejection, we often think we're rejectable. That's not actually a word, but I use it because it kind of says it all, right? You've, not only are you rejected, but then you feel worthy of rejection, rejectable. And then you feel like, oh, there's something about you that's just not good enough because if you were good enough, you would not be rejected. That's the idea. Of course, it's not true. So we fear we won't fit in. We won't be smart enough, articulate enough, attractive enough. We won't do a job well enough. So instead of that, look for evidence that you are likable, evidence that you are lovable and loved, competent and enough. After all, what is good enough? When, when we say that, you don't feel good enough. Often we say that without even thinking about what good enough is? And how do you know you're not there? Define good enough. So that's one thing we can do. Balance, rejection, and acceptance. Second, heal the past. Many of us have experienced the feeling of being rejected at some point in our lives. In fact, most of us, if not all of us, unless you are living in a bubble. Whether it's being passed over for a job, not being invited to a party, being dumped by a significant other, 
whatever the case, rejection sucks. It's not fun. But we fear rejection because we've experienced rejection in the past and it left us hypervigilant about being rejected again. It left us never wanting to feel that again so you don't put yourself out there so you'll never experience it. We've made meaning out of rejection. Challenging the meaning. Again, going back to being rejected does not mean that you are rejectable. It doesn't mean that you're not good enough. It doesn't mean you're too much or not enough. It doesn't mean anything. It just means this person has decided no, not you. And you know, think about all the times you've rejected other people, by the way. Does that mean they're all not good enough? Just not for you. That doesn't mean they're bad. They're just, I mean, maybe some of them were. I can think of a few people I dated before I met my husband. Yeah, they were rejection worthy, but maybe not to someone else, right? It's also very subjective. So challenge the meaning that you made from the past rejection. Often it's about, you know, it's about not being good enough. Or, or being too much and make peace with the past. Really heal the past by processing what happened from the perspective of taking your own side rather than wanting to avoid pain. And the way to do that, by the way, goes along with the third step, which is practice self-compassion. Self-compassion is everything. You got to talk kindly to yourself and give yourself grace for being anxious or worried about what other people might think of you. Instead of, I shouldn't worry about what people are thinking of me, say to yourself, okay, of course I worry about what people are thinking of me, but I'm going to shift my thoughts and really focus on what I think of me, what I like about me. Remember, you are only human. Your fears are not facts. So focus on the qualities about you that you know are awesome. Often we filter out everything good to focus on all the times that we were rejected, which kind of goes back to the first balance, rejection, and acceptance. We focus so much on the painful bad that we forget there was also wonderful acceptance in there along the way. Lots of people have said no to you. Lots of people have rejected you and lots of people have said yes and accepted you. Which one are you going to focus on? It's a lot easier to focus on the, the acceptance when you have a kind outlook on yourself, when you have a kind and compassionate perspective on yourself. So focus on the qualities that, that you, you like about you. And also... Allow yourself to be wrong. Now, what do I mean by that? Unless you work for the psychic network, and even if you do, you may not be great at predicting future outcomes. Even if you're quite sure you will be rejected if you put yourself out there, you may be wrong. So instead of assuming what's going to happen if you ask someone out, ask for a date, ask for anything that you want in life. Instead of assuming what's going to happen, take a leap. Yes, there is a chance of rejection, but there is also a chance of acceptance. And if you are so busy avoiding rejection, you don't give yourself the opportunity to experience acceptance. 
And fourth, normalize rejection. It is normal to be nervous and anxious and just dread the prospect of rejection. That is normal. Not a word I generally like to use, the word normal. Nobody likes to be called good enough because why don't I like the word normal? Because what's normal? <laughs> totally subjective. I, I like this, the saying of, you know, normal is only a setting on the dryer. Because what, what's normal to one person is definitely not normal to someone else. So we all are, are, are wondering if we're normal when we have no idea what that actually is. It's kind of like good enough. What is that? So remember, rejection is part of life. It doesn't reflect your good enoughness. It doesn't reflect your likability. It doesn't reflect anything about you. The key is to focus on your self-worth and to remember, and this is the hard part. This is the yucky part. Not everyone will like us. Not everyone will like or appreciate us. And that's okay. You don't need everyone's approval to be happy and successful and feel good about yourself. Instead, you got to focus on finding the people who do appreciate you and on building strong relationships with them. And with time, you'll find that rejection becomes less and less of a big deal. No, it doesn't mean anything about you when you take the meaning away from it. It's a lot easier. It's just, okay, they, they, they said no. I'm not their cup of tea or whatever it is. They didn't like my job application or whatever it is. Rejection is never easy to deal with, but for some of us, the fear of rejection could be so strong, so horrible, so anxiety producing, it leads to binging. And if this is something that you struggle with, there are steps that you can take to overcome your fear of rejection and break that cycle of binge eating. And by cycle, I mean, you know, feel something and avoid it by turning to food. So if you're struggling with both the fear of rejection and binge eating, know you are not alone. Overcoming anything, creating any kind of change, it takes time and effort, but it is possible to do so. And you know, all you need is some perseverance and support from yourself and from others. Um, and by the way, support from yourself. Consider if you are self-rejecting. So often we're so afraid of what other people are doing to us, we don't realize we're rejecting ourselves. Now, most of us are familiar with the old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. This suggests that verbal insults or criticism it's just not as bad as physical blows. I beg to differ. No, 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 no. Apples and oranges, if anything, I think this statement is completely wrong. Physical pain can be short-lived, but the emotional damage caused by words have a lasting impact on our self-image, our sense of safety and security with other people, our emotional well-being. Words have the power to cause significant and lasting harm. They cause long-term emotional trauma. That's why emotional abuse and verbal abuse is abuse. And it's traumatic. So, you know, 
how other people speak to us can definitely harm our self-esteem. It can harm our self-worth. But our words to ourselves also hold the power to either pull us down or lift us up. Our inner dialogue has a powerful effect on how we think, what we think about ourselves, how we feel about ourselves, which is why negative self-talk can be so damaging if it's not addressed and changed. Because when we are self-critical, we feel terrible. And then what happens? Well, you can't be critical to yourself, put yourself down, and simultaneously support yourself and lift yourself up. Those two things do not go together. You can't hate yourself into loving yourself. So when you are critical to yourself, guess what? You feel terrible. And then you might just turn to food to escape your inner critic. Because binging or eating, it provides a temporary comfort and escape. It silences, at least for the moment, that harsh internal dialogue. That's why people talk about being in the binge zone. You're just in on this autopilot dissociative state where you're not really thinking, feeling, you're almost on autopilot. So let's discuss some strategies to turn that inner critic into a friend so food stops being your best friend and your worst enemy. First step is to be aware of your inner dialogue. You've got to Protect yourself against negative self-talk by developing an awareness of what you're actually saying to yourself throughout the day. Because you you might be surprised at how hateful you are to you. Becoming aware of your inner dialogue requires really listening to what you tell yourself when you're faced with challenges or disappointments or just anything. So for example, if you if you struggle with anything, do you do you tell yourself something like, oh, you're so stupid, or I should be able to deal with this. What's wrong with me? Or if someone compliments you, do you respond with, oh, it's no big deal. It was nothing special. Or do you say, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Once you start becoming aware of your inner dialogue, then you can start replacing those negative thoughts with positive, more constructive ones. Also, if you find yourself using the pronoun you when talking to yourself, that is usually an indication that your inner critic is in charge of your thoughts. It is behind the wheel of of your life. It is on the road of life. Your critic is, is, is the driver. That's as far as I can take that analogy. You get my, you get what I mean. So consider if you say things like this to yourself, you're such an idiot. You're never going to succeed. They don't like you. If so, first consider whose voice does that sound like? Is it familiar? Perhaps someone in your life spoke to you that way, disparagingly, with contempt, just putting you down, thinking the worst, and you internalize that voice. So that is one way that we learn to be critical of ourselves. Another reason that we learn to be critical of ourselves is the is, is the lack of a safe environment, sort of a safe, secure, holding environment. When life feels too unstructured, there's there aren't enough rules, it's just too loosey-goosey. In those instances, children create their own internal rules And they are often very harsh and overly rigid. So 
If you speak to yourself in the second person using you, try to catch yourself and say the same words to yourself with I instead. So if you say to yourself like, you're such an idiot, try using the I pronoun. The chances are it, it it's going to be a lot harder and more difficult for you to say those things to yourself. So if you say, you know, you're such an idiot, stop, go, oh, I did that thing. I'm being mean to myself. Try saying I'm such an idiot. Often that is harder. Or, you know, instead of you're, you're never going to succeed, say I'm never going to succeed. It almost sounds laughable because how do you know that, by the way? Are, 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 you, are, are you someone who has a crystal ball? Because if so, please let me know. Please call the show. I, would, I, have, I have questions about the future. I'd like to know many things. What's going to happen in the future? Oh, you know, presidential election, stock market, COVID, many, many things I would like to know. So if you can predict the future because you know you're never going to succeed, <laughs> Call me. Let me know what else you see. My point is you don't know, but what you're doing is you're telling yourself something about the future that that isn't happening. And now you have real terrible feelings in the present about a future that doesn't exist and likely will not exist. Or if you say to yourself, they don't like me, would you say, you know, I don't like me? Maybe so. Changing the way we speak to ourselves can be incredibly powerful. And here's a general rule. If you wouldn't say it to a friend, a loved one, a child, or anyone you love and care about, don't say it to yourself. All right. So once we become aware of our inner dialogue and recognize, oh, this needs to change. This is not good. I'm being really horrible to me. Then it's time to start reframing your thoughts so it can replace those negative thoughts. And that involves changing changing our language when, when we talk to ourselves and recognizing distorted or exaggerated thoughts that we often have. So instead of telling yourself, I'm a total failure after you make a mistake or experience a setback, try telling yourself, Something like, you know what, this is not ideal, this is not great, but I can learn from this experience and try again tomorrow and it does not reflect me. What can I learn about myself and what can I learn from this situation rather than, oh, I'm such an idiot, I'm a failure. If you fail, tell yourself, you're not a failure, you failed. Okay, you failed but that doesn't mean you're a failure. What can you learn from the situation? And recognizing your strengths and your ability to learn, to grow, to bounce back from challenges, it's one way to build confidence and resilience in those times when you feel bad. And by the way, the better you feel about yourself, the less you will anticipate being rejected. Because if you feel rejectable, if you feel bad about yourself, if you're constantly criticizing yourself, then you're going to expect everyone else to look at you through the same lens. When you're judgmental of yourself, you're going to imagine everyone else is going to be equally as judgmental. 
And if you, by the way, meet someone and they are judgmental, you will tolerate it when you should not tolerate it because it's so familiar. When we're critical to ourselves and we meet someone who is also critical to us, it's like, oh, you know me so well. Let's be together. Welcome to my life. But when you are kind and loving and supportive and encouraging of yourself and you meet someone who's judgmental, you're going to be saying, "Uh uh-uh, you are not going to be part of my inner circle. Be gone. Bye-bye, judgmental person. Not today or ever. So let me talk about five five words, five phrases that undermine your self-esteem because by recognizing those five phrases and words that undermine your self-esteem and changing them, it builds your self-esteem. And when you feel better about you, you fear rejection less. It'll be like, okay, they don't like me for whatever reason. They said no. Okay, I like me. Whatever. That doesn't feel good, but next rather than, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. Here's proof. All right. Five words and phrases that undermine your self-esteem. Again, consider how you talk to yourself. Do you say mean things you'd never say to anybody else? Never say to a friend, a partner, a spouse, or a child. I I, I remember I've, I've talked about this person on the show before. Every day she would wake up, Go, to, go into the bathroom, the first thing she would say to herself, she'd look at, at her reflection and she'd say, you're disgusting. That's how she started her day. I asked her to say, I'm disgusting. And she actually couldn't do it because she said it sound, sounded too harsh. And the idea of saying to anybody else in her life, you're disgusting was appalling to her. She would never, never, ever, ever say anything so mean to anyone in her life because she loves them. She cares about them. She'd never want to hurt them. And yet she had no problem saying it to herself. So it's very important to think about the way you talk to yourself, which has everything to do with how you feel and how you feel has everything to do with what you do. Thoughts, lead to feelings, lead to behavior. I'm so disgusting, you're so disgusting, leads to feeling bad, feeling bad, leads to eating for comfort and distraction. That is why words are powerful. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will hurt you, even worse than sticks and stones. So imagine, the way that you talk to yourself. Now, let me talk to you. To, I'm, we're about to take a break. Um, I don't want to get started with these words uh, until after the break. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you about Tabitha and her experience at a birthday party with cake. Oh, it was not pretty, as you can imagine. And uh, uh, the words that Tabitha said to herself all the words she said wrong. She used all five phrases and how these might be familiar to you and what to do instead. So quick break, and then we will be back with those five phrases that undermine your self-esteem and what to say instead. 
Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you tired of the endless cycle of dieting and binging? Ready to break free from emotional eating and regain control of your life? Look no further than The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina, the transformative radio show that will empower you on your journey to food freedom. Dr. Nina is here to guide you every step of the way. Join her as she delves into the true causes of binge eating, uncovers hidden triggers, and gives you effective strategies for lasting change. With practical tips and inspiring stories of transformation, The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina will help you nurture a healthier mindset, embrace self-compassion, and rediscover your true self. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Have questions for Dr. Nina? Join her on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Today we are talking about how to go from fear to freedom when it comes to rejection. And I'm giving you five steps to beat rejection and stop binge eating. So we talked about how to balance rejection and acceptance, why it's important to heal the past, how to practice self-compassion, normalizing rejection, part of life, and considering, and this is the most important part, if you are self-rejecting, and now, to that point, we're going to look at the five phrases that undermine your self-esteem and lead you to feeling rejectable. So let me tell you about Tabitha. So recently, Tabitha attended a birthday party, and when it was time for cake, she told her friend, ooh, that looks good, that looks really good, but I shouldn't eat it. I really shouldn't go anywhere near that cake. She was going to Hawaii a few days later, and she said there was no way she was getting into a bikini if she still had this, quote, disgusting muffin top. And she poked her stomach and made a face as she just kept prodding her midsection and making a face of disgust. And she went on to say that she really needed to get fit. Otherwise, she worried her husband would leave her for some thinner, younger woman. She said... I lose weight and I gain it back. What if nothing ever changes? What if I'm stuck like this for the rest of my life? 
She looked very discouraged. She looked very sad. And then she said, well, now I'm depressed. I might as well have that cake. And she did. Two pieces of cake. And they were big pieces. And afterwards, she was really mad at herself. And she said, well, I had two pieces of cake. It wasn't even that good. What is my problem? What's wrong with me? Why can't I be normal? And then, of course, because she had cake, she went on to eat all the other things that she wasn't allowed to have, telling herself that tomorrow she was going to start her meal plan, a.k.a. diet, because a meal plan is a diet, tomorrow. Setting herself up, by the way, for the diet binge cycle. So does any of this sound familiar? By the way, Tabitha used words that sabotaged herself in five different ways. So let me break it down. So the first word she used was should. Should. How many times have you told yourself, I shouldn't have eaten that. I should be better at that. I should have more friends. I should be at a different place in my life or something along those lines. The word should causes you to direct anxiety, sadness, anger, and distress towards yourself. And those feelings can get so powerful that you're likely to cope by eating or binging. So instead of, I shouldn't do that, or if you talk to yourself in that dreaded second person voice, which I encourage you not to, you shouldn't do that. Ask yourself instead, wait, what do I want? What am I feeling? What's going on with me right now? Be interested in your thoughts and your feelings rather than judgmental. Shooting on yourself is just being judgmental. And by the way, I'm, I'm not that clever to have come up with the sh don't should on yourself. That was a, a professor of mine in grad school. I thought he was very clever until I found out it's one of the oldest psychological jokes. So there you go. Don't should on yourself. Ha ha. All right. Um, okay. The second, this, the second way that, that Tabitha was, was mean to herself was by being a mean girl. So if you're a mean girl or, or a mean guy to yourself, that's not good. It's, it's undermining your self-esteem. We often hurt ourselves by calling ourselves names and being mean to ourselves, which makes us just want to escape ourselves and head for the kitchen. So when Tabitha referred to herself as disgusting, that was mean. Imagine saying to one of your friends, you really shouldn't eat that cake because you are disgusting. And if you do eat that cake, I'm going to be even more disgusted with you. It is highly unlikely that you would ever say such a thing to anyone else. But you may find it easy to say mean things like that to yourself. Words are powerful. When we say, as Tabitha did, what's wrong with me? What's my problem? It makes us feel terrible. And when we feel bad, food reliably provides distraction or comfort so we can get stuck in a, a pattern of being mean to ourselves with words, feeling bad, eating or binging, which then leads to being mean again, as in, I can't believe I ate all that. I am so disgusted with myself. And the cycle continues. Rinse and repeat. How do we stop the cycle? By learning to soothe ourselves with words, comfort words instead of comfort food. We stop the cycle by becoming kind to ourselves, treating ourselves 
with dignity and respect. The same respect we show other people in our lives. All right. Three, another way that we undermine our self-esteem, it's not so much the words that we use, but it's the tone of voice. It's not just the words we use, right? Tone has everything to do with it. I I once asked members of my support group that that I had at that point uh, to say something supportive about themselves. And they each did it and they were really grudging. And and they said things like, you're going to be okay. Or I'm fine the way I am. Or it's okay to feel upset. So one was totally flat and disinterested. One one said it like a question, I'm fine the way I am. And one was almost like speaking through gritted teeth, it's okay to feel upset. Mm. You know, there was nothing wrong with what they were what they were saying, but boy, there was a lot to be desired in terms of how they were saying it. Not comforting, not soothing, not helpful. This is what soothing sounds like. Same words, okay? I'm going to be okay. I am fine the way I am. It's okay to feel upset. A soothing tone is like a verbal hug. And when we talk to ourselves the way we talk to others, we feel a lot better. We wouldn't say to a friend of ours, you're going to be okay. It's gonna, you're going to be fine? No, we'd say you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. It's going to be all right. So when we when we talk to ourselves in that way, in the way we'd speak to others, we feel better. When we feel better, you don't need to eat to feel better or to distract yourself or or any of the things. All right, the next the next phrase or is what if versus what is. So remember how Tabitha said, what if nothing ever changes? What if I'm stuck like this for the rest of my life? And that's, by the way, when she went for the cake. What if is about fear. It's fear of the future. It's worrying that some kind of punishment, rejection, or deprivation lies ahead. What if I go out with that guy and he turns out to be a jerk? What if I go out with that girl, she woman, she turns out to be a jerk? What if I ask someone out on a date and she rejects me? What if I ask for a raise and my boss gets mad and says no? What if I make a mistake and get fired? What if I'm making the wrong choice in my life? What if I say the wrong thing? Oh, the what ifs. What if thinking makes us feel upset in the present about something that may never take place? And when you have here and now emotions about future events, you are more likely to eat for comfort, distraction, to numb, soothe, all the things. So in contrast, what is? Not instead of what if, what is, what is, it, it's about facts. Where what if is about fear, fear of the future. What is, is about facts. It's about reality. And when you are grounded in what is actually happening in reality, in real time, in what you know to be true, you are less likely to feel anxious. You are less likely to be worried or upset. So what if is fear? What are you worried about that has nothing to do with the present and everything to do with an imagined future? What is, that's facts, that's reality. What do you know 
What do you know to be true right here, right now? Who are you? What are your capacities right here, right now? What do you know to be true about yourself? And how have you handled difficult situations in the past? That has everything to do with what you know about yourself. So remembering who you are, what you're capable of, what your strengths are, remembering the things that you have overcome in the past, that has everything to do with feeling better in the present and feeling more capable of handling whatever life throws at you, whatever curveballs might come. And that lessens your anxiety because when you know you can get through difficult situations, when you know you can overcome challenges because you've done it before, you're less afraid of them. And that includes rejection. When you remember, yeah, I've been rejected before and I survived and I'm okay. And it doesn't hurt the way it hurt then. It hurt a lot then, but you know what? I really healed from that. And I'm not as raw as, as before, and I can, I can deal with this. Then you're less afraid of rejection. Not saying you're welcoming it with open arms, like, please reject me, but you're just not as afraid of it, which means that you might put yourself in situations where, you know, you might, you know, might be accepted. You might have something good happen to you when we're so afraid of rejection. We, we protect ourselves, we, we hide, we're in a prison, a mental prison of binge eating to be safe. But what's the, what's the cost of that safety? You're in prison, you're in a mental prison to protect yourself. Yeah, you're safe, but you're also stuck. You can break out of that mental prison of binge eating by reflecting on the way that you, you speak to yourself and how you put yourself behind those bars. All right, then the next the next one is normal. Normal. The definition of normal. This is another phrase that undermines your self-esteem. I call it the N-word. It's a terrible word. The definition of normal means conforming to a standard of what's usual, typical, or expected. And to be honest, I have yet to meet a so-called normal person, myself included, because there's such a wide range of what's typical. And it's also based on uh, where you live, the culture and your family, your, your neighborhood, your environment. If you've got full sleeve tattoos, for example, you are not going to be normal in certain suburban neighborhoods in the Midwest or maybe anywhere. But you might live in a downtown loft where everyone has tattoos, and it's actually weird not to have any ink. So what's normal? Very subjective. When you say, I'm not normal, or am I normal? Or that's not normal. You are putting yourself down. You're saying there is something wrong with you. So when, Ta when Tabitha said, why can't I be normal? What was she really communicating? On the surface, she was wondering why she couldn't be like people who don't worry about cake. You know, those people who just eat cake without stressing out, calculating calories, fat grams, carbs, all the things. But I think on another level, what she really wanted to know was, why does cake have such a hold over me? Why, I, why am I so focused on cake? And there are a lot of possible answers to those questions. 
Maybe Tabitha felt deprived. Maybe she needed more sweetness in her life. Not the sweetness that comes from sugar and cake, but the sweetness of connection, fulfillment, love, all the things that makes life sweet. And maybe it was easier to focus on problems with cake than it was to focus on problems in her marriage because there were problems in her marriage. The point is, there's an underlying reason she focused on that cake and she need, needs to have a better understanding of that reason instead of just berating herself for eating cake. It's also uh, a distraction from n knowing what you don't want to know. Now, that sounds maybe like a, like a puzzle, but sometimes we don't want to know what we know or we don't want to know what we don't want to know. We don't, we like, for example, Tabitha problems in her marriage. She didn't want to face that. She didn't want to think about it. She didn't want to ponder that. So instead she focused her mind on losing weight, cake, all the things very similar to, uh, uh the woman I've, I've talked about her before here and in my, my books. Um, she was a member of my very first group for women struggling with binge eating disorder, the one where when I first walked in the door, one of the other women, not this woman I'm about to tell you about, said, what does a skinny bitch like you know about binge eating? That was fun. But actually that was, that was, and I felt rejected by the way, but that was an opportunity. That was actually the most amazing thing that ever happened to me because I realized that no, you look at me, you don't think I ever struggled with binge eating disorder or all eating disorders, which I did, which by the way, fallacy that all people who struggle with binge eating disorder are overweight. Many are, not everybody. Um, but it also it also made me realize that I needed to communicate my experience so that people knew that I get it. I get what it's like to struggle. I get what it's like to wake up vowing to be good and thinking about carbs and macros and how, how calories I'm eating, calories I'm burning and have it consume. Yes, that's a good word actually, consume, an ironic word, but it does consume your whole day and go to bed thinking, am I going to lose weight tomorrow or, or, or gain it and wake up and do it all over again? Am I going to be good today? Am I, you know, what's, what's going to happen that, that, uh, and, and that really led me to do this this work that I'm doing here, because it's so important to not be a blank screen, to be able to say, I get it. I know what it feels like. And even better than that, I know what it feels like to be on the other side. And you can get to the other side without ever thinking about food, focusing on food, dieting, all of those things. That's why I call this program The Binge Cure, because there is a cure. That's why my book's The Binge Cure. Um, so I just want you to know that 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 there is a cure. So this woman, in, not the one who said, what does a skinny bitch like you know about binge eating? Another woman in the group, she kept saying, oh no, I, you know, I just like food too much. I just like food too much, right? She just couldn't acknowledge that there was something deeper going on. Her mind was so occupied with food and eating and her weight. Why? The answer was the last day of the group she said, you know, I think if I were not focusing, 
on losing 20 pounds and on everything I'm eating all day, I think I'd want to leave my husband. So maybe you're focusing on food and your weight so you won't think about things you don't want to think about. So you won't let yourself know something that you know but don't want to know, if that makes sense. So when you ask yourself questions, you are more likely to come up with answers. That's why my cup says, curious, not critical. I know you're listening to this. You can't see my cup, but it says, curious, not critical. One of my mottos. When when we are curious, we find answers. Our minds want to fill in the blanks. And that is why it's so important to stay curious, not critical, to be compassionate to yourself, not cruel. You will understand yourself. You will feel better. You will feel good. And when you nourish and nurture your, your soul with words, you stop using food to comfort yourself, to distract yourself, to fill a void, to convert uh, uh, emotional pain to physical pain or all the things that, that it does. So it it's it's important to think about the power of words, both those spoken by others and, and even more importantly, those spoken from you to you. Um, by noticing your inner dialogue and reframing your thoughts into something more positive and encouraging whenever you can, as well as, of course, practicing self-care, you can guard yourself against any harm caused by your words. And when you are kind to yourself and you get rejected, guess what? You know you're going to be okay. You know you can survive this. It doesn't feel good, but when you are hateful to yourself and someone rejects you or you imagine rejection, all you do is get flooded with bad, horrible, awful feelings and self-defeated thoughts and self-defeating thoughts. But when you can encourage yourself, be supported, validate and acknowledge yourself, reassure yourself, respond to yourself in a totally different way, guess what? It doesn't hurt so bad if you get rejected. You're there for you. If someone makes you feel bad, you can be there for you instead of letting ice cream be there for you. And that, and when you feel good about you, someone else rejects you, it's not so terrible. It's like, okay, that's what they think. But, you know, I know me, I know my value. Instead of handing your self-esteem into the hands of other people, you can be there for yourself. So the sting of rejection becomes just that, a sting which is bearable rather than a blow, which is painful and horrible and and reinforces all the bad ideas you have about yourself. So speaking to yourself in in a kind way, watching these phrases helps you to, to stay with who you are and allows you to focus on what matters most to you, what makes you happy. And this is why turning your inner critic into a friend by changing the way you talk to yourself is a primary key to creating a binge-free, happy life. That is how you, you know, you you feel good about yourself. When you feel thoughts lead to feelings, lead to behavior. When you think terrible, disparaging thoughts about yourself, you feel terrible. You turn to food to cope. When you 
have perfectly benign or 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 caring encouraging thoughts you feel you feel okay you're done you don't need food for any purpose other than breakfast lunch dinner and snacks and by the way you should enjoy it i should also say that another reason why some people binge is because of diet mentality just like tabitha she told herself she couldn't have cake and of course she wanted cake the cake wasn't even that good but she had two pieces because she couldn't have cake so she might as well have the cake and then she had two pieces she might as well have all the other bad things quote unquote bad foods at this party when we when we tell ourselves we can't have something we only want it more that is why black and white thinking all or nothing diet mentality does lead to binging and it leads to that last supper syndrome where it's oh i blew it i might as well have everything else that i'm that, that i'm not allowing myself to have because tomorrow i'm starting my diet and so you you go on this last supper anticipating future deprivation and you end up having so much and binging and then you go on a diet which of course is unsustainable and so that leads to the diet binge cycle so really look at really really look at um the rules that you have like people have rules like well i can't you know i can't eat carbs and lose weight uh yeah, yes you can and by the way even if you only eat protein your, your body will convert that protein into carbs so look at the notions that you have the, the 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 deprivation that you create the ideas that you have about what you're allowed to eat and what you're not allowed to eat and really challenge those ideas because diet mentality is terrible diet mentality just keeps us in a good food, bad food state of mind, which of course leads to, oh, I'm being good if I'm eating salads and I, oh, I, I was being bad if I ate pizza. And then you have a feeling of, you know, well-being about yourself. Oh, I ate, I ate salad. But then you have a, 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 a bad feeling about yourself because you ate pizza. That's not fair. <laughs> That's not fair to yourself. You wouldn't think less of a friend because she ate pizza or he ate pizza. You wouldn't say, hmm, I used to like that person, but you know what? They eat pizza. I just don't see them the same way. They've really failed in my estimation. That is some food for thought for you. So thank you so much for joining me here on The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. I'm here every Thursday at noon Pacific on Voice America. And if you want a deeper dive into this topic, be sure to get your copy of my best-selling book, the Binge Cure, Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating. And now I'm very excited to announce that the Binge Cure Journal is also available and both are available on Amazon. So stay curious, not critical, and I will see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Each week, she offers valuable insights to stop emotional eating and give steps to lead a joyous life. Tune in next Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.